When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes... He will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Good morning, everybody. Really good to see you. Please have John 16 open in front of you. I pray that we will hear the voice of God this morning. There is no greater thing uh, for us to do. And I say that despite today being Ruth's birthday. Dan hinted at it this morning. It's both of our wives' birthdays today. And I tell you that not so that she will be the center of attention. She will hate even the fact that I'm mentioning it to you. But simply because I've been thinking this week about surprises. Unfortunately for Ruth, not really surprises related to her birthday. What I wanted to do for her, for her birthday, I thought I'd better run past her first, so she knew what I was going to do about two weeks ago, so that wasn't a surprise. My mum sent a present through, uh, hi mum, I'm sure you're watching, and when it came through, Ruth picked it up, it was addressed to her, and immediately knew what it was, because she'd asked for it, and she knew it was coming, so that wasn't a surprise. And then to cap it all, my uncle he texted Ruth and said, I'm going to get you this. Is that all right? So no surprises at all from our side of the family. I don't know if you've ever been completely surprised by anything. Whether there's anything that I could say that would cause you to fall off your seat in such astonishment because you're so surprised. I'm going to give it a go. Okay, here we go. Sloths have more bones in their neck than giraffes. Okay, there's a bit of nodding. People know that. Okay, okay. No, it's all right. I've got more. But we're going to go up a bit. Here we go. McDonald's once made bubblegum-flavored broccoli. All right, maybe not part of Sunday dinner. Maybe not surprising because McDonald's will try anything to make some money. How about this one? This one, I was completely flabbergasted in my office this week. You ready? The first oranges weren't orange. I mean, that just blew my mind. Crazy, isn't it? They should be called greens. 
They were green. It's amazing. You seem to be still seated. So obviously that didn't quite up the game enough when it came to surprise. But there are words this morning from Jesus that I would rank as the most surprising thing anybody has ever said. See, we followed Jesus throughout his life in John's gospel over the past uh, three years of his life. And he said some pretty amazing things. He said that he himself is God walking on earth. I mean, that's pretty surprising. And then he's done stuff that backed it up and showed us that he is God. Some people were astonished. Some people were terrified. Some people just ignored him. And currently, as we're at this stage in John's gospel, he's preparing for his disciples for the fact that he is going to leave. He's talking to them a long preparation for the fact that he's going. And a few weeks ago, we heard him say that they need to remain in him. He used a picture of the vine and the branches, and he said these words, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Yet all of this is in the context of him going. The big picture is, I'm going, and one of the details is, apart from me, you can do nothing. You're like, well, how do those two things come together? We need Jesus. And whether that's because you're a Christian and you're longing for more of your Savior and you want more of him in your life. Or whether you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. And actually what you're looking for from Jesus is proof. is certainty that he is real. Actually, all of us would deal better with Jesus stood right here. With Jesus here with us. And then Jesus says this in verse 7 of our passage. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. That is surprising. That is remarkable. That is incredible. It is better that Jesus is going. Do you feel the force of that surprise this morning? Metaphorically, if not literally, are you falling off your chair thinking that? What? Jesus, what are you saying? And what I want us to see this morning is that not only are Jesus' words true, but they are glorious. And they should fill us with hope. And they should fill us with light in the midst of darkness that we walk through. Whether we think much of Jesus or not. And it's all to do with coping with the fact that Jesus isn't here. And initially, the grief that that brings. I want you to imagine that you're the disciples who were listening to what Jesus was saying last week. Even if you weren't here, the bit in bold before tells us all we need to know. The world hates the disciples. They were listening to this. Jesus saying, it's going to be hard. There are going to be terrible times. You are going to be struck down because you believe in me. Hatred, persecution, sin. Can you imagine them? Come on, Jesus. Tone it down a bit. Come on. Ignorance is bliss. We don't need to know all the details. Just, just tell us a little bit. But no, Jesus says, there is purpose in my words. Look at verse 1 of chapter 16. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. What is Jesus' greatest goal for your life? That you remain in him. Connected to the vine, intimately connected. And he will do whatever it takes to make sure that that happens, including telling us lots of things that we might not want to hear. Verse 2, they will put you out of the synagogue. 
In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a sacrifice to God. They will do such things because they've not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you'll remember that I warned you about them. Now, in one sense, this seems pretty remote from us, doesn't it? Most of us have never been to a synagogue. Most of us are not in danger of losing our lives to those who claim to be doing the work of God. Because we will have brothers and sisters around the world for whom that is true. But the word translated kill in verse 2, in other places, is used metaphorically to mean abolish or to cancel. Let's read verse 2 again. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who cancels you will think they are doing what is right. Does that sound less remote? Does that sound a little bit closer to home? Christians losing jobs, business, access to services, all in the name of progress. And Jesus sums up why in verse 3, they will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. The source of life, of progress, of unity, of love is ignored and even hated. And the effects are clearly seen. And Jesus doesn't want us to be uninformed. I've told you this. So that when their time comes, you'll remember that I warned you about them. Brothers and sisters, when persecution comes, when you're in the classroom at school, when you're in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your community, when people hate you because you stand for the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is devastating. And we grieve. But in the midst of our tears, we should never be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised because Jesus has told us this is the way it is to be. We follow a hated, suffering servant. And those who follow the leader, they follow him everywhere. Except he's not around. He's not here. Middle of verse 4. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. You see, for three years, the disciples had been fine. Jesus was right there with them. And so anytime they had any questions, anytime they didn't understand, which was all the time, they could go to Jesus and say, what am I supposed to do? When times were hard, they could just run and come to Jesus. And there was some sense of protection around Jesus. They didn't understand everything. Life wasn't easy all the time, but he was there. But now he's going. And the thought of what life would be like with him gone fills them with grief. Their heads have gone. They're not asking the right questions. And sorrow fills their hearts. Just like some of you this week. Even just this week, there's been grief and confusion in our church relating to your children, to your grandchildren, to your mental health, your relationships, struggles at work and at school because of your faith. And that's just this week, and it's just some of you. There'll be stuff in this room that I don't know anything about. And yet you're walking through that each day. I was sat with someone from our church this week, and he just expressed that the sorrow and the frustration that Jesus just feels so distant. He calls out to Jesus, and he doesn't seem to be getting anything back. Have you ever felt that? Ever felt that God is on mute? I have. Such grief because Jesus isn't here. 
See, this conversation with the disciples isn't remote. It's not distant from us. It's not some other experience, some culturally irrelevant moment that's happening here. It's the lived experience of a Christian. And to be honest, it doesn't sound a lot like the life to the full that Jesus promised back in chapter 10. So what do we do? Where do we turn when sorrow fills our heart, when tears fill our eyes, and Jesus is far away? Well, in the grief and the anxiety, fundamentally based on Jesus being far away, he provides the hinge to this passage, the bit that changes everything, with these incredible words in verse 7. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Can you imagine their response? I'm sorry, what? Did I hear that right? It's for our good? The very source of my sadness is for my good? How? But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. How is it that our grief, because Jesus is far away, can be changed into joy because Jesus is right here. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And I want us to use this passage to give us a biography of the Holy Spirit before landing it so that we really understand and believe, verse 7, that it is better for us that Jesus isn't right here. See, throughout Jesus' words about the Spirit, starting in verse 26 at the end of chapter 15, Jesus refers to the Spirit as He. Do you see that? Not it, but He. He will come. He will come. Jesus is not talking about an inanimate force. He's talking about the third person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and here, God the Holy Spirit, fundamentally united together, yet eternally distinct from each other. That verse in verse 26 also says that he is sent. He's sent by Jesus from the Father. Just as in verse 5, we're reminded that Jesus was sent by the Father. He kept saying that, I've been sent by the Father. So here, we see the Spirit is sent by the Father and the Son. There's a sense in which they are both being sent for our goods. So what does he come to do? Well, three times in this passage, Jesus says when he comes. When he comes. And he talks about his work. So let's follow that through. First one in verse 26. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. So the Spirit is the one who testifies, who bears witness. That's what advocate means. And in these days of false truths and fake news, what we need is someone reliable to listen to. We need to know if we should be listening to them. Who is he and who is he pointing to? Such fundamental questions. Well, he's the Spirit of truth. Not just that he speaks truth, but that he is truth. And it's repeated down at the bottom in verse 13. All of the voices that you hear in person, all the voices that you hear online, from TV, from newspapers, he is truth. He's the one who is absolute truth all the time. And who does he point to? Well, not to himself, but he points to Jesus. He testifies about him. He will testify about me, says Jesus. And in verse 8, we see more about what that means. 
when he comes, there it is again, the next thing that the Spirit does, he will prove the, sin, the, prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. You see, this proving isn't a kind of, ha, 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 you're wrong, I was right all along. But it's a convicting. He will enable us to see how wrong we are about sin, about righteousness, and about judgment. And to help us with that, he gives us definitions of each of those words in verses 9 to 11. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. You see, this is the heart of the message of the Bible. There is a God who made the world and he placed humanity to rule on his behalf. But we threw it back in his face. So he sent his son, the true king, to realign us with him. But what happened? Verse 9. About sin, because people do not believe in me. You see, sin ultimately isn't about what you do or you don't do. The things that you've done this morning that you regret. The things you haven't done that you wish you had. That's not, at its base, sin. They're just symptoms. They're the evidence of something deeper down. Sin is the rejection of Jesus. It is not believing in Jesus. And that leads to a problem. Verse 10, about righteousness. Because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. You see, in going to the Father, Jesus is going to the place of righteousness. Where everything is right and is as it should be. But when he goes, we can't see him. Because we're not right. We are not welcome there. Only one person in history deserves to be where the Father is, and that is Jesus. It's not you, and it's not me. Heaven is not a place for the likes of you and me. Which leads us to the unhappy conclusion of verse 11, and about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. You see, God's goal is for all of reality to be rid of unrighteousness. Which is bad news for you and for me because we are not right. And so just as the devil described here as the prince of this world, the leader of all of those who rebel against God is condemned. So all who follow in his footsteps are condemned and judged as well. That's what we deserve. That is the future for us. You see, the problem of sin... And the need for righteousness and the inevitability of judgment are what the Spirit are showing us to wake us up. The Spirit is to function as like an alarm clock, blaring at us, saying, you need to listen. You need to wake up. The path that you are on leads to death, and you need to know that. And that's what he's doing. He's here to show us that we're wrong when we think that we're okay. When we think that by our own efforts, we can get ourselves to the Lord's. That we deserve heaven and that judgment is for other people. He testifies about Jesus and he convicts us that we need him. That we need him. And then verse 13. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Now this obviously flows on from who he is. Being the spirit of truth means that he guides in truth. And oh, how we need that. How we need to be guided in truth. See, talking about truth today can be like trying to nail jelly to the wall. You just can't get hold of it properly. 
What blessing there is to know that in this constant battle, to work out what is true and false, to work out what is right and wrong, there is one who will guide. And he will guide perfectly because he is the spirit of truth. And as we stand facing judgment, we definitely need to be guided in truth. Which means he will always point to Jesus. Middle of verse 13. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So much is said online. So much on on helpful TV channels and in churches in Bristol about the Holy Spirit that is just not true. He speaks what he hears. There is nothing the Spirit guides that goes against the Word of God. Often we dress up sin, we dress up our own sinful desires by putting it in Christian language. We coat it in, the Spirit wants me to do this. If it goes against the Word of God, then no, he didn't. That's a lie. Every time you think the Spirit is guiding you, you go to God's words because you will find it in there. And the Spirit's purpose is to glorify Jesus, to place the spotlight on him. The Spirit is the spotlight. When you see something being spotlighted, you don't hang around the spotlight, you look at what's being spotlighted. That's what we do. We look to Jesus. The Spirit always points to Jesus. And so if it's not from the Spirit, then the focus won't be Jesus. Not on the pastor, not on money. Not on health, but on Jesus and him alone. Brothers and sisters, be discerning. As you watch, as you listen, come back to God's words. Is what is being said glorifying to Jesus and consistent with his words? And start with me. Don't think I'm immune from this, that I stand over and look down and say, yeah, they're wrong, they're wrong, be careful of that. You need to do that with me. We search the scriptures, and as church family, we are guided by the Spirit into all truth. Look back at verse 7. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocates will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I think that all of us, Christians or not, would be keen to have Jesus physically here with us this morning, standing here, talking to us all, and then hopefully leading a Q&A afterwards. I reckon we'd probably cancel our plans. There are at least two birthdays here today. I reckon even they would cancel their plans. I'm getting a nod from Claire that they would cancel their plans if Jesus was physically here this morning. We would make allowances for that. But what about next week when he is elsewhere? And you're back stuck with me again. What about the millions of Christians around the world who wouldn't have access to him because he's here in Headley Park? What about you as you left the building and left the presence of Jesus? But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus went back to the Father so that the Holy Spirit could bring the presence of Jesus to every square centimeter of this planet. 
See, verse 14 tells us that the Spirit will make Jesus known to us. Wherever we are, whatever we're doing, whatever we need by the Spirit, we can know Jesus' presence with us. How do we remain connected to the vine? How do we enjoy that in, in intimate connection with Jesus? Through the Spirit. Through the Spirit. So where do we land? been lots to get from this passage this morning. But if you're here this morning and you aren't following Jesus, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, I wonder if you'll ask a brave question. In light of verses 8 to 11 in chapter 16, will you ask the Holy Spirit to show you that you're wrong? Are you brave enough to ask that question? Holy Spirit, show me that I'm wrong. And when you reach the point of understanding sin and righteousness and judgment from God's perspective, through his word, the Spirit will point you to Jesus and you will see him. In verse 13, Jesus says the Spirit will tell you what is yet to come, showing everything that flows from his death and his resurrection and his ascension. The forgiveness that we receive for our sin because Jesus took the punishment that we deserve upon the cross. The righteousness of Christ given to us purely out of his love and his grace. How can I be in the place of righteousness? Because I stand clothed, surrounded, encased by Christ's righteousness. The judgment that we avoid because Christ stood in our place, knowing that judgment day is in the past, not the future, because of what Jesus did. All of this, all of it revealed to us by the Spirit through the Word of God. Ask Him to show you. And Christian brothers and sisters, we share that role. Look at verse 27. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Just as the apostles pointed to Jesus from God's Word by the power of the Spirit, so we must too, knowing that every moment Jesus is right with us. Whatever you're going through at the moment, Jesus is with you by his Spirit. When the darkness closes in, Jesus is with you by his Spirit. When you feel helpless, lost, and a fool, Jesus is with you by his Spirit. When you're cancelled, when you're persecuted, when it feels like you can't put one foot in front of the other, Jesus is with you by his Spirit. There are times when we just can't bring ourselves to open his word, to meet with his people, 